Just before our message this morning, I want to say just a couple of things. First of all, I apologize to you people having to sit on the floor, but it's Christmas. In a sense, they're the best seats in the house, and yet also it's a little hard. Thank you for your patience. I also wanted to remind you that um, this is my 23rd Christmas with you, as I said, and I have a, a real passion, a, a real desire that this not be an ordinary Christmas for you or for me. I, I think it was Elvis Presley who sang a, a carol, Why Can't Every Day Be Like Christmas? And I, I, I think that's a kind of a hunger in most of our hearts. We'd like all year to be like this. And you know, after having spent quite a few Christmases, I believe there's a possibility that that can happen. I believe we can have something this year that won't end Christmas Eve. I think this Christmas a theme of being a, becoming a contagious Christian is something that by God's Spirit we can literally take into the new year and, and, and make a difference in our life. Um, I don't want you to be let down, as I have often been after Christmas, where we go to so much effort and have such a high emotion and almost go into a frenzy and then to have to almost with a sigh of relief say, I'm glad it's over. And, and was it really worth it? Come January, I want us to say, yes, it was worth it because it made a difference in my life. God might have that surprise here for you today. Let's listen and see if we can hear his word. Would you bow in prayer with me? Lord, we've been through many Christmases together. We've heard the message. And maybe we're sitting here today asking, is there anything really new? I pray that your spirit will begin working now, putting a sense of expectancy in us that yes, there is something new and that we can change and that our lives can become significant, that we can make an impact and in so doing, by loving others, we can find some relief, some freedom from what for many of us is a prison of self and pain and misery and almost foreboding about Christmas. Lord, we need a miracle and we pray in these few moments you might grant that. In Christ's name, amen. I was staying in a hotel a few months ago and. I was forced to ride an elevator 27 floors each way. And it gave me some time for thinking as I kept doing that all day long. I concluded that elevators are weird places. Someone described an elevator as a place into which you are crammed with folks you've never met. You try hard not to touch them. Nobody talks except for an occasional out, please. You don't look at anyone. In fact, you don't look anywhere. You just look up watching those dumb floor numbers go on and on. It's almost as if there's an official sign that reads, no talking, no smiling, no touching, and no eye contact allowed. Reflecting on that experience and projecting it into the Christmas season, I've made a conclusion. I've concluded that the elevator mentality, that atmosphere, is a microcosm of what's happening in society today. Where people increasingly are feeling isolated and lonely and unloved and separated from people, particularly this time of year. All you have to do is walk in the mall. We've been there. I, I go over there often. I, I love to study people. And you know, this year, almost as never before, I just see this, almost this frenzied look on people's faces, trying to get parked, trying to get through the lines, trying to get the presents bought, and we rush by each other. We don't know anybody. There's, there's no community. There's no connectedness. And you'd almost be out of order if you dared say hello to somebody or Merry Christmas. And I believe, this very fact of what's happening in society presents us as Christians with a unique challenge this Christmas to put our faith into action in a way we never have before. I, I need the Holy Spirit to help us to believe we can make a difference. 
that this isn't going to just be another worship service and just another Christmas. I believe God is calling this church to be his agents to reconnect people if we're willing to pay the cost. To leave our comfort zones, if you please, just as Jesus left the comfort zone of heaven the first Christmas, and as our scripture says, became poor so we could become rich. In fact, listen to this. You might think it's a strange uh, Christmas text. Actually, it's a very focused Christmas text. Who being in the nature of God made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on a cross. You know, as many Christmases as I've been through, I never cease to wonder when I look at a helpless child when we baptize them or something, that the God of this universe came as a helpless infant, left the riches of heaven, and came down here and lived and died at our hands so that we could live with him forever. I don't understand that. That's too wonderful, really, to even think about. But I do know our church theme this year centers on becoming contagious Christians, and I do know that that means every Christian has been strategically placed by God all over this peninsula to be agents for bringing that kind of love that Jesus brought to us. We are now his agents to bring it to our offices, our neighborhoods, our classrooms. Why? Because it's the only power on earth that's going to melt down the elevator mentality that's disconnecting us, that's putting barriers between people, that's making us act subhuman even in this beautiful area of the peninsula. And this brings us then to our text for this morning. First, for Christians, I need to say that loving others as Jesus loves is, is a mandate. It's not an option. And if we miss that, we're not really even going to understand Christmas. Our text says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. That's a profound text because it goes against everything our culture is teaching us. Our culture says, look out for number one. Take care of you, nobody else will. And Jesus says, I want you to have my attitude if you take my name. Looking out for the interests of others means paying special attention to people no one else even notices, that everyone else overlooks. It means relating to those for whom we have no natural affinity and yet who are asking, does anyone care about me, my wounds, my fears, my needs? Bottom line, it means acting like a human being again. Recognizing that God created us in his image. It meant we were created to be in community, to be in relationship. We were not made to be self-centered, self-absorbed, isolated units as society is becoming. That's subhuman and we know it. The mayor of East Palo Alto was being interviewed on Channel 6. The host asked her why she devotes her life to finding and meeting needs in that community. Her answer intrigued me. It was very simple. She says, that's my mission in life. She's a Christian. And finding and meeting needs is her mission. And I need to tell us that if we take the name Christian, that's our mission. If the heart of Jesus begins to beat in us, we inevitably are going to be drawn to people and their needs. And at that point, we will make a difference. And that brings up the second truth in the form of a question. How do we do it? Because that's really uh, the issue in this sermon. How do we break our preoccupation with self so we can be used of God to reconnect people? We've tried. We've heard this message before. The text says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. That's a super idea. But who of us can have the attitude of Jesus? 
It's important to understand that implied in this mandate is the necessity of our knowing Jesus as a living person, or as we Christians say, knowing him as our Savior. Believing that he died on the cross for our sins, believing he was resurrected so we can live with him in heaven. That's what a Christian is. And that's the only power on earth that can break our addiction to me firstism, which is a deadly virus in society today. No one can love as Jesus loves. No one can leave our comfort zone in our own strength. We love it too much. It's only the miracle of Jesus coming into us, living in us, that enables us to share his kind of passion that will reach out to people and break the anonymity of these times. And I need to say again, most of us know we can't do it. We can't fight the elevator mentality, the indifference. And that's what makes us turn off. Even as I was preparing this sermon, I sort of turned off. I said, Lord, we've heard it before. It won't work. What's the use of talking about it? And then it occurred to me, though we can't, but Jesus can. And I think that's the difference this year. If we try, we'll fail. If we're Christians and believe Jesus is in us, we believe this year, if we'll open ourselves, he can use us to make a difference. And I need to tell you, it's costly. The reason we've tried and failed is that people are difficult to love, in case you didn't know that. Um, some bug us, others frustrate us. Add to this difficulty all the common relational patterns, the envy, the pride, the competition, the power struggles, the diversity. And then I, I need to say some people are just weird. Uh, you know, we, some of us have some insatiable needs. We all know them. And we see them coming with that sort of look in their eye, and it's just easier to run. Uh, and then there's the cost of time and inconvenience and pain and money and worry. And then for me, the toughest thing, and maybe it is for you too, the very people that you do help, that you get involved with, will turn around and bite your hand off it. They're, they're, they're just hurting so much, they've got to strike out in wrath, and you wish you'd never gotten involved in the first place. So I can give you a thousand reasons why we shouldn't listen to this sermon. It won't work. We can't love as Jesus loves. We've tried and failed. And yet, in spite of all these barriers and excuses, God's mandate remains. Listen to John the Apostle. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be with him? Dear children, let us not love with words or with tongue, but with actions and in truth. Back to the question, how do we do it? I thought about this since summertime, and I've decided this is the only thing I can offer you that will be, really be realistic. I suggest we start loving as Jesus loves by starting to ask God to identify just one person who needs us this Christmas. If the contagious Christmas theme is ever going to take off in this congregation, it won't start as a massive program. It won't be something we fund. It will happen as Jesus did it. And he did it by loving one person at a time. He had three years to change the world to accomplish his mission. What did he do? He went and loved one person at a time. I was given an article from the Investors Daily discussing poverty, and I quote, our personal strength is more important than our money. What the system really needs is not another $100 billion. It needs about 50 million Americans who are willing to do something as a human being. Enough Americans willing to reach out and help just one person. Don't try to save Atlanta or Washington, and I'll add the peninsula. Try to save one person, and the difference you can make in that process is enormous. 
if God does anything this Christmas, I hope he'll start it, help us to really believe we can make a difference. Again, the record of the ministry of Jesus is not a story of crowds, but of individuals with names that he touched, he changed, and armed with his love, they went out and changed the world. That's what I hope God will lead us to do this Christmas. Because the loss of community, the disconnectedness, the fact that you're an oddball if you say hello to somebody in the mall, that disease is one of the great tragedies of our time, and we have the answer. And this fact leads us to a final truth. I'm happy to say that loving others with the love of Jesus works. It reconnects people. Why? Because our Lord won the battle on the cross against the forces of evil and sin and greed that separate us both from God and from each other. It's sin that keeps us anonymous, that creates the elevator mentality. Sin called selfishness. And we're either going to be on his side and we're going to put our lives on the line and say, yeah, I'll do it with your power, or we're going to join the selfish people who simply build bigger barns and build their walls and, and isolate themselves from others. We can be part of the cure or the disease. It's our choice. And I want to have you think with me. Think of the potential if we should unleash Christ's kind of love all over the Bay Area. I think it would be the most exciting happening in the United States. Newsweek magazine claims America is on a collision course with disaster because we have adopted lifestyles of unlimited freedom. We believe greed is good, that having is better than sharing, and as long as I get mine, forget everybody else. And that attitude is killing us as a nation. Happiness is to lose ourselves in the service of others. A secular ma magazine, probably written by a secular person, knows the answer. We've got to break with selfishness. The problem, we can't do it. And that's what makes Jesus unique. That's why he came, that's why he was born, to give us his heart, his ability to love as he loves. It isn't too late to change. This Christmas, if every person who attends these services will take time to love at least one person, I say, watch out. The whole community will feel the impact. One family came to our Mount Hermon family conference in October and they had made the decision before coming they were gonna move because of chronic difficulties with their neighbors. At the conference, they were convicted not to run away, but to stay and to seek to love those neighbors. And all they did when they got back was to begin praying for them that God would open a door to these people. And to their surprise, in a very brief time, one neighbor came and asked to come to the Menlo Church with them. And then within a few days, the neighbor next to the neighbor who asked said, could we come? And then finally, the third neighbor that had been the real thing in this whole chaos in the neighborhood brought a peace offering to them. One family who decided to stay and, and become connectors in the neighborhood rather than run made a difference. Last week, a couple came to see me about sharing. I was impressed what the husband said. They said, you know, I've had a really good year, but I also understand that everything that's happened, God has given to me because I remember when I had nothing and I want to return his blessings. I've just got to share because he shared so much with me. You see, when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the fact that everything we are and everything we possess is a gift of God to be shared with others because we're related, because we're all created in God's image, we weren't meant to be isolated islands. When that happens, almost like an involuntary reaction, we become contagious Christians because we're grateful and gratitude, indebtedness makes us contagious. So I close with this challenge. In January, we're going to be offering a course in how to become a contagious Christian. I hope you'll make a time to attend it. 
Becoming contagious with our faith, I need to tell you, is not a theme for this Christmas alone. As long as I am pastor of this church, becoming contagious, reaching out to someone who is yet needing the touch of Jesus Christ, will be the very heartbeat of everything we do. Otherwise, in my opinion, we ought to close our doors. Remember, if the love of Jesus can motivate us this Christmas to take one step away from self and become part of a cure that's the disease of our society, then everything that we've done to celebrate our Lord's birthday this year will have been worth it. The tree, the decorations, the orchestra, the choir, the carols. They won't have a hollow ring. They won't be viewed by society as, as a group of people and they don't even understand what they're doing because they never feel the impact. But if they got, get the love of Jesus as the result of our having worshipped here, this indeed will be the best Christmas we've ever celebrated. And I want that for you and I want it for me. I just say in the power of the Spirit, let's go do it. Let's find one person to love. Let's bow in prayer. Lord God, we'll enter Christmas and still never understand why you ever bothered, why you loved us enough as your children to come here as one of us and to live and die and be resurrected that we could live with you. But you did it. We love you for it. And now we'd like to be your agents of love in our needy world. Work that miracle even today. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. And now you have a chance to be part of a glorious experience of really lifting our praise to God. I'm going to let you stand and do it.